Amen. Well, we're so glad that you are with us on this uh, Christmas Sunday. We made it. It sure has uh, closed in on us quickly, and we're glad that you are here with us this morning to be able to celebrate uh, this special day. I just want to let you know that um, as of uh, last weekend, our year-end offering right now is over 50% of the way funded. And so uh, next year, as we move into the next year, we're going to be looking at um, doing some work with a church planter. We've got some great missions uh, activities planned, uh, just some initiatives that we're going to be supporting as a part of our uh, ministry next year. And if you haven't had a chance to be a part of our year-end offering, we're going to invite you to jump in. Uh, you can be a part of that by going to springbrook.org slash year-end. We've got some information for you about our missions and our mission support. So if you have any questions about that, let us know. I also wanted to let you know that our Christmas Eve service right now is uh, the, the 530 service is now full. And so we've got a, we'll have a few spots for anybody that does happen to show up. And so if you have signed up uh, for our 5.30 p.m. service uh, next Thursday for Christmas Eve, if you're not going to be able to make it, please let us know so we can uh, move those spots around. And then our 7 o'clock uh, service is filling up fast. And so if you haven't registered for our Christmas Eve service, uh, you'll want to do that today. Um, we're going to have a special time together as we sing, as we look at God's Word, as we do have a special candy lighting service. And so we're going to have a great time uh, for our Christmas Eve service, and we can hope, hope you can join us for that as well. I also wanted to let you know that next year we're kicking off a new uh, Bible reading journaling plan. And so we're going to be looking at uh, seeking more of what God would have for us as we move into the new year. And uh, if you want to know more about joining us, uh, for this reading plan, if you're interested in picking up a journal, we have some of those available in the lobby. You can pick up one of those uh, in the office as well. Uh, but we want to encourage you to join with us as we start to seek God and read his word together next year. And so if you want to know more information about that, again, you can go to our website. This is also on our app. Uh, but uh, we'd like to invite you to join us for this special uh, Bible reading plan. We've got some great journals available for you as well. And then um, also I just want to let you know on this last slide, we've got... Uh, uh, our app that you haven't downloaded. If you haven't downloaded our app yet, I'd encourage you to do that. We've got everything related to Springbrook um, available for you there. And uh, it's a great way to be connected uh, as we prepare for what God has for us as we finish strong this year and prepare that all he has for us uh, next year. So if you haven't downloaded that app, uh, you want to be sure to do that as well. Today we're looking at um, Isaiah 53. We're going to be looking at um, the reality of, of the, uh, the Christ is the Messiah. And so I'm really looking forward to being able to dive into this passage with you. I was reading uh, last week a, a, a story about a man named Cliff Barrows. Uh, Cliff Barrows was the uh, music and program director for uh, Billy Graham. So if you don't know who Billy Graham is, he's a, uh, a preacher that has had an opportunity to share Christ with over 200 million people. And so if you're familiar with Billy Graham, you'll be familiar with some of his work. Uh, but uh, Cliff Barrows was his worship and program director. He was introduced into the uh, Gospel Music Hall of Fame uh, back in uh, 1988. He was 93 years old uh, when he went to be with the Lord uh, just uh, four years ago this past month. And so there was a little celebration for his life remembering him. Uh, but when uh, Cliff was a young father, there was a story that he was well known for about his having to correct uh, two of his younger kids. Uh, the kids had uh, done something wrong and uh, despite repeated attempts at telling them to stop, uh, they kept doing it. Does that sound familiar to anybody else's parents? You know, sometimes kids don't do what they're told, and so, but Cliff kept having to tell them over and over to stop. And so finally, uh, the day came where Cliff uh, had to discipline his kids. And so he writes a story about how much it bothered him uh, to have, have to have discipline his kids. And so the story goes on to say that he called the two kids into his room, uh, and he took his belt off. And he was holding his belt in his hand. And what do you think happened next? You know, he called the kids in to discipline him. 
He's holding this belt in his hands. And what do you expect that the story would go in terms of how he disciplined his kids? Well, he took his shirt off, and it says he knelt down beside his bed, and he told each of his kids to spank him on the back, at least two to five times. Now, that's not something you were expecting to hear, was it? You know, he took his shirt off, and he said, I want you to spank me because of your behavior. He said the kids wouldn't do it, and so he, he made them do it. I don't know how you get, you, know, you make two kids spank you on the back. But Cliff said that they cried and they cried. He didn't want to have them make them do that, but, but they did it. And after he got done, um, he explained to them that bad behavior, that sin, has consequences. And it needs to be paid for. Now, that's not something that we would expect when we think of when it comes to discipline, either our children or when we're disciplined. Typically, we think that there's a consequence for our behavior, and we paid for that. But Cliff would explain to his kids that our bad behavior, our sin, has consequences. And he said when he was done, he hugged and kissed his kids. And, but he said he, they never got in trouble for that again. It was such a lesson for them. And here's the thing that you need to know from that story. Sin has consequences. That's the bottom line. And if you don't believe that, all you have to do is have somebody wrong you in some way. And uh, we all want know what it's like uh, when someone wrongs us or uh, sins against us. We want retribution. There's a consequence that needs to be paid for that. And we know that there's something special about what God has for us in terms of how he's redeemed us in Christ. And it's not what this Christmas message is all about. It's, it's something that we didn't expect that we find when we look at Christ. And it's just like that message that Cliff had for his kids. Sin has to have a consequence. But it's something completely different when somebody takes that on their behalf for somebody else. That's not what we would expect. You know, there's something interesting to me about Christmas and that in the midst of the shopping, the gifts, uh, the parties, the lights, in the midst of all this celebration as we move towards Easter, we have a baby in a manger. You know, we have a baby in a manger whose sole purpose, his sole purpose in being born was that he could die for our sins, that he could take on himself our sin, our misbehavior, and and bear those burdens on his own and bring us into a right relationship with God. In 1 John chapter 4, John, John writes about this in verse 14. He says, we have seen and we testify that the Father has what? Has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he is in God. The Father sent his Son to us. And that's the baby that we have in the major. Jesus was sent to us. And that through his death on the cross, we could be saved from that sin that separates us from God. Just a little earlier in John chapter 2, he writes this in, in uh, verse uh, 14. Now, can you go to the next slide, please? He says in John, uh, 1 John chapter 2, in verses 1 and 2, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours, but also for the sins of the world. This is not something that you would expect for somebody that's taking on the sin, the misbehavior for somebody else. But that's what we find when we look at Christ. He takes on our sins. He's the propitiation for our sins. It means he takes them on himself. We have an advocate. He represents us. 
but he also pays for our sin. He satisfies that debt, and he takes those things on himself, and he reconciles us to a Heavenly Father that loves us and wants a relationship with us. You see, forgiveness in Christ is not something where he just goes around and waving a wand. He doesn't just wave a wand and say, hey, this one's forgiven and this one's not. You know, Jesus' death on the cross paid the penalty for everyone's sins. He is the advocate on our behalf. His death on the cross paid for our sins. And it all begins with celebrating his birth. This baby in a manger. And this is really, when you think about it, logic and a story that kind of goes beyond our understanding. That a baby would be born in a manger to die and to take on the sins of the world. That is something that defies logic. It's a story that sometimes when you read it, you think, well, that does not sound like it's too good to be true. But that's in the reality what happened. The fact is, is that when Jesus was born, he, he was born so that he could fully take on our sin and fully represent us to a God that loves us and a father that wants a relationship with us. He died so that he could take on that penalty of our sin. And so we're going to have a sermon series coming up this coming Easter. We're going to be looking at what it means to have uh, an advocate, to, to, have a, to have a substitute, to have a substitute that atones for our sins. And so we're working on a message now as we live up to Easter, and we're going to develop this idea more fully. Today we're going to look at who Jesus is in Isaiah, but I'm really excited about our Easter message. Before we do that, we're going to have a uh, five-week series as we launch off into the new year on uh, experiencing the full presence and power of God in our lives. I am so excited about next year. It is going to be a great year. I'm looking forward to all that God has for us as we prepare to move into this new year. But we want to spend some time this morning, and we want to stop to take a look at Jesus as his birth in the manger and what that means for us today. And, uh, and we're going to look at this message from the perspective of seeing how Jesus fulfills all of this Old Testament prophecy that we're going to see in Isaiah chapter 53 this morning. And so we want to look at this issue of this problem, this separation between us and God because of our sin. And we want to see that we have this promised Savior uh, that is going to give us the details of what this relationship looks like. And nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible is it more clear that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised Messiah, than it is in our passage from Isaiah chapter 53 um, this morning. No other passage is more clear that Jesus is the one that saves us than it is in Isaiah chapter 53. And so if you have a Bible with you, you can turn with me there. Uh, If you're watching online with us this morning, down at the bottom, there's a little tab. You can click on a Bible. You can go to Isaiah 53. If you've got an app with you, you can open it up there. But uh, listen with me as we read Isaiah chapter 53 um, together. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before like a young plant, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces... He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he would be pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we are like sheep 
We have gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is born, uh, that is, has its, um, like a sheep that is born, its, its, uh, its shears are silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, he was stricken for the transgressions of many people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put his grief on him. When his soul makes an atoning offer for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The Lord will prosper in his hands. Out of the anguish of his souls, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. You know, Isaiah chapter 53 is about atonement and redemption. And it's so fascinating to me that every single verse in Isaiah 53 is either quoted or is indirectly related to and finds its fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ, beginning with his birth, beginning with our baby in the manger. You see, Jesus is the promised one that has been sent to save us. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas, the birth of a Savior. Chapter 3 opens up with a rhetorical question. Uh, it reflects uh, what, that is, what is being shared is hard to believe. He says this in, uh, in chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the R been revealed? Who has believed what has been heard from us? It's a rhetorical question, meaning that what you're hearing is really hard to believe. And when you think about the baby in the manger being born to die for our sins, that's a story that's hard to believe. It's a reality that for many is hard to believe. For some, it's unknown. You know, we have a Savior that has taken on the form of a human. He is both God and he is both man. And if you've ever tried to explain that to somebody or if you've ever heard that, Sometimes you have to stop and you have to step back. It's not a story that you would expect. But the reality is, is that Jesus is God in the flesh that has come down to us as a Savior. And so the second question that leads up to this really helps us to understand that not everyone is going to understand this. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Some people are going to understand it and some people are not. Not everyone is going to believe this reality about Christ. In the fact, in the, in the early church, it starts with only 120 people believing. Out of the hundreds of thousands of Jews that there are, Jesus comes on the scene as the Messiah, and when he dies, he's resurrected, we find 120 Christians coming together to worship him and to wait to see what God has next for us. The reality is that the majority of people don't believe Jesus is God, that he is our Messiah. And that's a conversation and that we still have um, to this day. But the focal point is in believing, uh, the, the focal point in believing is rooted in the unbelief of these early Israelites. Out of the midst of the darkness, uh, out of the darkness of these Israelites, the light is going to shine. Jesus is going to shine his light into the darkness. Out of the midst of 
hopelessness, we find hope. Jesus is our hope, and God enables us to be eternally uh, optimistic. Not because we can be positive thinkers, but because God has all the answers. God has a plan, and God has the ability to redeem us and restore us and to save us. And it begins with the birth of Jesus that we find in the manger. His life, his birth, his life, his word, his death, his resurrection, those all form the foundation of the Christian faith and give us hope. Christmas is not just a holiday where we celebrate getting together. It's, a, it's an opportunity for us to celebrate that God came to us. Verse 2 would go on to say that out of this dry, rotten unbelief of a nation, out of 200 years, or 2,000 years, out of this dry, rotten belief that we find in this, in this nation, that there's going to be a root, a Messiah, a young plant that is going to come up out of the ground. We looked at that last week as we talked about Jesus being the root of Jesse. But Jesus, is, as a baby in a manger, is, is like a small plant that would grow. And as a result, we get to see the fullness of who we are. You know, and I like this idea that he has no particular form that we should look at him. There's nothing special about Jesus. What's special about a baby in a manger? We have babies born all the time. There's nothing special about him. There's no beauty that we should desire when we look at him. He's just a normal man. He's just a normal guy. And I love the simplicity of this because we are tempted to be attracted to things that are flashy, things that are strong, things that are ornate. We love things that are new. We are attracted to things that are worldly. But Jesus comes down in his simplicity and there's, and there's no former majesty that we find from him that would cause us to rejoice and to, and to find something in him. And as a result of that simplicity, many people are going to miss who he is. Because of the simplicity of his life, many people miss that. Isn't this just a carpenter's son? Not only would they miss it, but they would come to despise and reject Jesus. In verse 3, it says that he would be despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as of one from whom men hide their faces, he would be despised, and we would esteem him not. Now, I don't know how much you know about the Bible or about Bible stories, but anyone that has any, any, any kind of a reference or understanding about any of the Bible stories knows that Jesus was known for being despised and rejected. In Matthew chapter 2, it actually says that Herod, the king, when he was born, wanted to have him put to death. I mean, Jesus was despised. He was from Galilee, an area that was disrespected, according to John. He was from the town of Nazareth, whom the Israelites would ask, can anything good even come from that town? You know, he was from the family of meager means. He was born into a regular family. And as a result, though, he was missed and he was despised and rejected. He'd go on to be despised and rejected. You know, he was hated by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jewish ruling class. Finally, he would grow up and the Romans would involve him and get him involved in an arrest. He'd be arrested, he'd be mocked, he'd be, he'd be beat, he'd be spit, he'd be flogged. Even when he was standing before Pilate and, uh, and he was offered to be up you know, for release, the crowd chose Barabbas over him. They said, give us the criminal Barabbas. You know, they'd rather put Jesus to death. He was despised and rejected by men. This little baby that was born would grow up to be despised and rejected by men. This affliction and suffering that he would be known for in verse 3 is the 
by, by those people, it's the same people that he has borne their griefs and carried their sorrows for. These same people that despised and rejected him were the ones that he was going to bear their grief and carry their sorrows for. Yet they esteemed him not. You know, in spite of Jesus taking up the burdens of the people that, that deserved this punishment, they considered him deservedly worthy of punishment to the extent that they would send him to his death. You know, and as we move into verse 5, we find a list of these he, him, his statements compared to the we, us, our statements. And this makes it personal for us. In verse 5 and 6, it says that he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And so if you were to compare these two things, everything that Jesus experienced was something that was for our benefit. So if you go to this next slide for me. We see that Jesus was pierced. Jesus would be pierced for what? For our transgressions. He was crushed for what? For our iniquities. Upon him, chastisement would occur for what? For something that would bring us peace. By his wounds, we are healed. You see, we get to transition from this knowledge about who Jesus is to be able to experience that in a very personal way. This is what's called substitutionary atonement. Jesus is our substitute. He stands in for us and he atones for our sins and he takes on the sins of the world onto himself. And it's here in the passage in Isaiah 53 that we see a turning point in the understanding that there's going to be a substitute that's going to come and stand in their behalf. And in despite of the fact that they know this is coming, they still continue to reject Jesus. But for us today, we can look back on that and we can say, this is a transition point from understanding who Jesus is to how we can experience this in a personal way. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he says this, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you are what? You are healed. The suffering servant is going to receive the just punishment that was due to the rebellious Israelites. And by doing so, he's going to heal the relationship between us and the Heavenly Father that loves us. And you know what? This is good news. This is good news for us. Let's look back at verse 6. It says this, Who goes astray? We, like sheep, have gone astray. Who goes astray? All of us. We all will go astray. Who turns to their own way? Everyone will turn to his own way. And the Lord will lay on him the iniquity of what? Of us all. You see, Jesus' birth benefits everybody. Jesus came to save everybody. And this is great news. Jesus has paid the penalty of sin for everyone. This love, this forgiveness that is from God is rooted in God himself. And it doesn't matter how you feel about it. It doesn't even matter if you believe it. Even if someone is an atheist, the work of Christ is sufficient to cover their sin. That's one of the beauties and one of the things that we celebrate about Christmas. That's why it's such a big deal that we celebrate the birth of Christ. He is our Savior. And it didn't just come about by accident. It came about as a result of a fulfillment of prophecies that are thousands of years old. 
And as you look down through Isaiah 53, every single passage, every single verse ties directly to him and finds its fulfillment in him. Now, you can choose to pay the penalty for your own sin. I don't know why anybody would want to do that. Um, but, you know, Jesus takes on those sins, and you can pay your own, sin, your own sin if you like, but the cost is eternal separation from God. You see, God does not send people to hell. God does not send people to hell. People reject Christ, and as a result, are eternally separated from him. People choose it by not accepting God's free offer, People choose that by not accepting that Jesus is God, born of a virgin, that he died on the cross for their sins. You know, people choose to be separated from God from eternity based on what they believe about Christ. But you see, why Jesus died for everyone was out of his love for us. God sent his son because he loved the world. And so God's sending his son is a gift. It's a gift for each of us. The father sent his son so that his son could die for all out of his love. That's why beginning in verse 7, it said that he would go without a fight. Jesus didn't fight this. Beginning in verse 7, it says that he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he what? He opened not his mouth. He was like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that goes before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. You see, Jesus was doing the will of the Father. Jesus understood that he came to save men from their own wickedness, their own fallenness, and their own brokenness. Jesus was doing the will of his Father, and he understood he was with God, and he, was, he understood that he was sent down, and he understood what he was there for. Jesus died with the meek submission of a lamb. He did not revile, he did not curse those that were sending him there. In Matthew 27, it says that Jesus made no reply when he was being accused by the chief priests and the, and the elders. He made no reply to Pilate against, against a single accusation that was made against him. Peter says in 2 Peter that Jesus committed no sin. He had no deceit in his mouth. He did not argue back or make any threats. He kept his trust on the one and towards the one that sent him. Verse 7 is a key verse in chapter 53 because it speaks of one that is sent like a lamb to the slaughter. He is sent like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. It's this passage in, in Acts chapter 8 where the Ethiopian eunuch is reading. The man is reading this passage and he's trying to figure out in his mind how this makes sense. He doesn't see it coming that there's going to be a baby born in a manger and that Jesus is going to take on the sins of the world. And when he gets to this passage, he's dumbfounded. How can that be? And Peter shows up. God sends Peter at just the right time to explain this passage to him. He goes on to explain this passage that God would send his son, Jesus. He was born in a manger. He would be raised. He had these teachings. He would die. He'd, he'd be resurrected. And he'd, he'd be raised back to life. And he did all these things are coming as a part of God's plan. And so Peter would explain this to the man. And the man would come to understand the truth of that. He would believe. He would place his faith in Jesus Christ. He immediately becomes baptized. And he becomes a Christian. You know, a Christ follower is somebody that understands who Jesus is. That he's not just a baby in a manger, but he is a risen Lord and Savior. In the book of John, John writes that when he sees Jesus coming to him, Jesus is coming towards John and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world. In the book of Revelation, we see the vision of a lamb that was slain 
standing and he's honored and he's worshiped as God. The fullness of the prophecy in Isaiah 53 is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we get to celebrate, we recognize that today. By oppression and judgment, he'd be taken away. For his generation, who considered that he'd be cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? It sounds too good to be true. They just don't see it coming. But the reality is, is that everything that we need to know is found in the birth and the life and the word of Jesus Christ. That's an offer that's available to everyone. You know, God's offer is for everyone. And as you move into verse 9, Isaiah would say this, after the lamb was slain, after they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to put his grief in on him. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong the days of his life. And the Lord will prosper in his land. You know, Jesus was crucified on the cross between two criminals. And so we see the wicked right there on either side of Jesus when he was crucified. And then after he was died, what would happen? He'd be buried in the tomb of the rich man, Joseph of Arimathea. You know, we see right here the fulfillment of Jesus Christ's death and his burial right there in Isaiah 53. Every single passage in Isaiah 53 points to the reality of who Christ is. In verse 10, it's a prophecy. It's a prophecy that was back then something that they're expecting. For us today, it's a reality and something that we remember. That this is all happening as a part of God's plan. From the beginning of Genesis with Adam and Eve, this is a part of God's plan to save us from that eternal pit. It's, it's, a, it's a plan that has been in place from the beginning of time to put us into a right relationship with God. And it begins with the birth of Jesus Christ that's what we celebrate. We're excited. We're looking forward to the fulfillment of these prophecies when Christ returns or till we stand before him on his throne. You know, verse 10 is a prophecy back then, but a reminder for us today that this is all a part of God's plan. This is not just some random birthday that we're celebrating today. This is an opportunity for us to celebrate and remember that God sent his son to us to die on the cross for our sins. You know, God takes no pleasure in seeing his son have to die like this either. He doesn't take this offer that Jesus, and everything that Jesus is having to go through is something that he takes lightly. It was a part of his plan, though, and in that we can find rejoice. You know, Jesus would be given as a sacrifice, as a substitute for each of us, to atone, to take our place, and to pay the penalty for our sin. God's offer is for everyone. God loves everyone. To those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, though, he gives the right to be called children of God. They are called children of God. We will be his offspring. And so if you have a relationship with Christ today, you are a child of God. God loves everyone, but a relationship with Christ means you be called his child. You are one of his offspring. And so if you are a Christian today, if you're a Christ follower, you are a part of the fulfillment of this prophecy. You're a part of his offspring. God loves everyone everyone, but to those that have a relationship with him, he gives the right to become a child of God. And here's the best part. As an offspring, we have the assurance of eternal life with, with God in heaven. That's one of the benefits of having a relationship with Christ and being one of his offspring, that, that we know that we have the assurance of spending eternity in heaven. And that's, that's a promise. And we also have a promise that we can ex- experience life to the full today. You know, John 10.10 10 says that Jesus came 
so that we could have life and we can have it to the full today. And so I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you are, it's been a rough year. Maybe you're coming to the end of the year and you're just thinking, man, you're, you're struggling with depression or you're struggling with loneliness or you're just struggling with hopelessness. Jesus is the solution for all those. He came to give us life, to give us hope. And it's my prayer that as you look at the baby on the manger today, as you move towards Christmas, you'll be able to experience the fullness of the reality of who we are in Christ today. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ, this is a great time to be able to do that. Not only celebrating who Jesus is, but claiming all those promises for yourself. Claiming all the promises that we find in Isaiah for yourself. God speaks into our lives, and he shines light into the darkness. Jesus died. He came to to be a savior for us, and then he died to rescue us from our sin. That is great news. And it's not something that everybody knows about. Not everybody has a relationship with Christ. It's interesting. When you, when you gather together with your family for this Christmas and you're celebrating Christmas, just ask, hey, who is Jesus to you? You know, these are great opportunities for us to share who Christ is in our life with others. Christmas is a great time to put Christ back into Christmas. You know, that's what we're celebrating today. And we're celebrating. He wasn't even born in December. We think he was born in first, you know, in the first quarter. We're just taking this time to celebrate the birth of our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. And so when we come together, you know, with friends and family and coworkers, start asking people, who is Jesus to you? This is a great conversation. It's okay to talk about Jesus at Christmas. It's okay to do that. You know, it's funny. My kids were in uh, school. They were going into uh, high school. And, uh, uh, one of my children had said something about um, Christ being Christmas, and the teacher said, well, you, you, can't, you can't have that conversation. Well, <laughs> what do you mean you can't have that conversation? If you can talk to them about the fact that we came from apes and came out of the swamp, then, hey, we can talk to them about Jesus. <laughs> it's okay to talk about Jesus at Christmas. In fact, that's the central theme. That baby in the manger is, is Christ, our Savior, and it's okay to talk about Jesus at Christmas. You know, God loves us. He redeems us, and he wants a relationship with us. He loves us enough that he sent his son. And that's what we're celebrating. But only those that believe in him and have a relationship with him does he make righteous. That's what verse 12 is all about. As we move into verse 12 or 11, verse 11 says this, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By the knowledge he shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus makes us righteous. There's nothing righteous in me. The Bible says that my works are like filthy rags. Any righteousness I have, anything that's good in me, comes about as a result of who I am in Christ. And so when I come to Christ, I am made righteous. The old is gone and the new is come. And this comes about as a result of Christ's birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Everything that we owe, we owe to him because of who he is. And the reality of this Christmas season, the reality of who Jesus is in the manger is all fulfilled in Isaiah chapter 53. God makes us righteous. He makes us new. When we become Christ followers, he makes us new. We become righteous. And guess what? He bears our iniquities. When I stand before God, Jesus doesn't say, hey, whatever he did, it's okay. Forgiveness is not saying this is okay. You know, when we forgive one another, you know, if I, uh, if I accidentally eat somebody's um, uh, 
dinner, or if I actually, if I accidentally break into somebody's um, cookies, uh, sorry, I did that, you know, I can ask for forgiveness, um, and they say it's okay. There's really no penalty there. Forgiveness in our mind, in our thinking, is something where we just dismiss something that is wrong. But that's not what forgiveness is. That's not what it means to have your iniquities forgiven. Having your iniquities forgiven means that that penalty was actually taken on by somebody. And so Jesus doesn't just say, hey, whatever you did, it's okay. You don't get a free pass to do whatever you want. It means that everything that we ever do wrong, our past, our present, and our future sins, everything that we do wrong, he bears the weight of that. That's what happened at the cross. When he was hanging through his death, through his suffering, he's bearing the weights of our sins. And so we find our forgiveness because he took those on himself. Forgiveness is not something that's cheap or flippant or something that's just passed around. When we look at Christ on the cross, when we look at this baby in the manger, when we think about what we have at Christmas, it's, it's about understanding that he bears all of our iniquities. And we get to be called his children. And we have a right relationship with him. God loves us all, but only those that have a relationship with him does he call their children. And then verse 12 says this, I'm going to divide I will divide him a portion with the many. I shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of what? He bore the sins of many. And he makes intercession for who? For the transgressors. And so God's love is sufficient for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so God's love is sufficient for all of us. But he separates people at the end for people that are going to be forgiven and those that are going to choose to pay the penalty on their own. You know, there's going to be a division. There's going to be, there's going to be a sorting out when Christ returns. And, and he bore the sins of many, and he's going, to make, he's going to make intercession for those transgressors that do have a relationship with him. And so as we come through this Christmas season, it's an important opportunity for us to ask ourselves, what do we believe about that baby in the manger? What do we believe about who Jesus is? And I want you to hear this, because at the end of the day, Each one of us has to make our own decision about what we believe about Jesus. It doesn't matter if you just come to church, if you've got friends here, what your mom and dad believe. Each one of us individually has to make a decision about what we believe about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It was a decision that they would have to make back then. It's a decision that we will have to make today. It's a decision that will have to be made until Christ returns. And it's not an easy decision. It's not an easy decision because there's a cost that comes at following Christ. There's something different about us that separates us from the people around us. And we don't like to be separated. We don't like to be different from the people around us. But ultimately, that's where we find our hope. That's where we find our satisfaction. That's where we find the fulfillment, our purpose in this life, is by making a decision about what we believe about Jesus. It's a decision that had to be made then, and it's a decision that has to be made now. In Jesus' time, Jesus was walking around with uh, the disciples, and he's telling them all this. Many of them believe, but when he starts talking about who he is and the decision that needs to be made, many people hear this. These Jews uh, were listening. They're anticipating a Messiah, and Jews today are still waiting for a Messiah. And so uh, there was very few Jews that actually believed and placed their faith in him. The rest of them would turn and walk away. 
And so Jesus is walking around with the disciples. And if you read through the book of John in chapter 6, it would be a good, good read, um, as you, maybe a devotion as you're going through the holidays. Read through John chapter 6. But Jesus is walking with the disciples. He's explaining to them, you know, who he is. And uh, it's not what they expect. You know, they're expecting a, a worldly king. Uh, they're not expecting a servant that comes from Galilee that's a meager that was born as a baby in the manger. And so he goes on to explain that he is the Messiah, that he does die for their sins, and that they can have a relationship with their Heavenly Father. And it says that uh, many of them turned from him, and they walked away. In John chapter 6, in verse 66, many of his disciples, after they heard this, many of his disciples, people that were following him, people that were hanging around from him, when they heard this, they turned their back on him and no longer walked with him. And so then Jesus looks over at the 12 and he says, well, do you want to go as well? Do you want to go away as well? I mean, are you going to turn your back on me as well? And I love what Peter says, Lord, we have no place else to go. There's no place else to go. You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You know, we all have to make a decision. The majority of people are going to turn their back on him. The majority of people are going to deny that he is who he claimed to be. The majority of people, when they look at Christmas and they look at the baby in the manger, don't see a Savior that was sent to us. That's going to die for our sins. The majority of people reject that. It is only a few that have come to understand and believe and place their faith in there and realize that there's no place else to go for eternal life. And so it's my prayer for each of us as we move through this Christmas season, as we move through this holiday, as we come to celebrate, you know, our Christmas day on Friday morning, that we do so with an understanding of who Jesus actually is. I love getting together with family. I love getting together with friends. And I know we all love some time off of work. A lot of places are closed on Christmas. There's a lot of things to celebrate about Christmas, trust me. And some of them are really fun and they're good. But at the end of the day, we celebrate a a God that loved us enough to send his son that was born in the manger so that he could grow up and die for our sins. And right now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And so that's the good news about the hope that we have in Christ. And when he returns, he's going to gather all of those that belong to him. They're going to spend eternity in heaven and the rest are going to be separated. And so that's that's the message of Christmas that God loved us and sent his son. And so it's my prayer for each of us that as we go through this week that we'll be able to celebrate that together. And if you've got questions about that, if you have questions about what Christmas is all about, or if you have questions about who Jesus is, that's why we exist. And so we'd love to help you answer, find answers to your questions. I would pray that as you go through this season that you reflect on Isaiah 53. Every single verse points to who Christ is and the reality of what we have in that. And so I hope you have a great Christmas. We're going to be celebrating uh, on Christmas Eve. We're going to come together and celebrate the reality of who we are in Christ. We're going to celebrate his birth. We're going to have a special candle lighting. We're going to continue to celebrate. But I just want to pray for each of us that we would be able to be encouraged, that God would give us hope today, and that you would be able to finish this year strong, knowing that you are loved and you are cared for by God. Would you pray with me? Father, I just thank you for uh, this day you've given us today. I thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. I thank you for the reality of Jesus' birth. And I thank you for everything that that means to us today. God, I just pray that you would continue to strengthen us in our faith. God, I pray that you would draw others into saving faith in Christ. We look forward to all that you're going to do in and through us as we prepare for a new year. I know we're all ready for a new year, but at the end of the day, nothing will have changed if we don't do anything with your son. And so I just pray that you would continue to grow us in that area 
I look forward to all that you have for us. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to thank you for being with me today as we celebrate Christmas morning. I hope you have a bla- uh, just have a blessed Christmas uh, wherever God finds you. I pray that you have a sense of his peace, his comfort in your life, and we hope you have a great uh, holiday. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ rest on you and go before you as you celebrate the birth of his son. Have a great day.